us back into the show right now. Welcome back to In Our Own Defense podcast. Uh, Dr. Tarver and I, we have the luxury of having Dr. Uh, Jernigan Noessi on the show. She's here uh, to inform us about racial trauma. Uh, so Dr. Uh, Dr. Noessi, listen, I just wanna, there's a, there's a, there's these dimensions of racism that I've been reading about and trying to learn about from the institutional, uh, structural, the interpersonal, the internalized, the institutional, where these policies are created, these practices are, are put down. I feel like I experienced that. And then the, the structural, where it's to, that's the structure everywhere I go from every military installation that you go on, you had to, an army installation that you go on, um, you had to experience the same commonality of, of, of the trauma, the, the racism that existed. Uh, just very recently here, um, the Marines has outlawed and banned the even sight of the uh, Confederate flag, knowing that that is synonymous with the uh, with the uh, the swastika for for African Americans, and to see it on the Mississippi flag, it's traumatizing. It's exhausting. Where colleges are hiding it and won't put it up, just get rid of it. It has to be getting rid of. And so, on an institutionalized purpose, the Marines are saying, "No, you can't even have a cup with it on. You can't have a sticker on your car." And where so the army, the army's like, "Yeah," but people have to go to work with army on their uniform, and you don't have the common courtesy to say this is absolutely unequivocally wrong but you have military installations named after Confederate generals and they didn't even win. And so when you have these institutional lines and then the, the interpersonal, you're constantly with this microaggression that people have to you because of a mutable characteristic like the color of my skin. And then the, the internalized. As a kid, thank God that I went to a church that says black was beautiful. Thank God I went to a space that I was always told that that this is an amazing, beautiful melanin. But I knew so many people that didn't. They wanted to bleach their skin. They wanted to lighten their, their look. But it was just these horrible, horrific things. And hearing phrases like that pretty little light-skinned baby, that, 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 you know, all of this stuff uh, was internalized. And I'm just saying, how do we as parents, how do you suggest that we as, as parents and leaders how do we help ensure that we don't transfer those pains onto our children? Awareness. I mean, it's it's a complex question, but it's not an impossible question, and that there's not a solution. I think it's complex because you know you can look at it you know historically in terms of looking at you know different generations, and as you said, I think when they were you know sort of go back to maybe my parents or my grandparents' generation, there were more explicit call um, explicit positive messages uh, with regard to racial socialization and racial socialization is, is you know the messages that we um, explicitly or not explicitly to you know future generations about themselves um, as racialized um, individuals and so when I talk to for example my parents they will talk about the fact that you know when to segregation, they went to black churches, they went to black schools, and even some of my mentors will say the same thing, that those positive messages that you were talking about, right, the beautiful black skin, you know, being proud of your 
and you know you had communities of folks who were really pouring into recognizing you know that society right still racism was still very prevalent they really poured in in an explicit way into younger folks so that they could have uh, some positive sense of who they were so you started moving along you know with regard to history you've, you've desegregation um, really, I think, disrupted some of the explicit messages that, you know, children in particular might receive um, such that, you you know, maybe they were at home, but they were no longer in, you know, right, or you no longer saw teachers or had the experience of their personally of having teachers who would believe in you and instill in you and encourage you to be proud about who you are, right? So some of those unities for positive racial socialization for younger uh, black and brown folks really went away. Same thing if you start looking at, you know, just communities moving around and, and migrations. And so then we have this period in history, right, where sort of that, the notion of what it meant to be politically correct, you know, in terms of looking at laws and legislation and policies that were supposed to um, eliminate that, you know, racial discrimination in particular, which led to this, you know, even more nuance. As you said, microaggressions is one term that we use there, you know, these because uh, there are micro and there are macro aggressions. So there's more subtle experiences, right, or policies or ways in which folks could creatively uh, discriminate uh, based on um, race. And it, what's interesting for me as someone who has worked with children, adolescents, and families, in about 2008, so post-Obama, I recall working with children in the Northeast that were going and attending predominantly, they were being bused into predominantly white suburbs to attend school. Um, and they were really struggling. So here I am as an individual clinician um, working in a community health center. I get about seven calls in a week, you know, from a white school district and every black girl in the school apparently was having, you know, some, I said, that's not, for me, that wasn't about the individual girls. There's something wrong with the school. So I systemically, so here's your piece about systemic policy, went into the school and said, let me just talk to a few people and we developed a program. But the idea being, when I talked to those uh, young, uh, both girls and boys, they talked about as adolescents, um, the fact that they no longer were having conversations with their parents at home about race. No one was talking to them, both pouring into them, you know, a sense of positive identity, maybe some, but they certainly weren't preparing them for these subtleties, right, with regard to racism that they might experience. So then I said, hold on, let me talk to the parents, because I know, you know, as a black psychologist and as a psychologist that positive racial identity for young people of color is what buffers experiences of racism, the negative consequences. And so parents, why aren't you having these conversations? And we had this really deep uh, moment where I had this evening workshop with parents who we were just so hopeful. So, you know, our parents, we had heard these and also had our own experiences which were traumatized. Desegregated the school. And they talked about the fact that they hadn't dealt with their own pain. And instead, you know, and, and as a result, they kind of repressed that, suppressed that, and did not have those explicit conversations or ensure that their children were in places where both they could receive messages, you know, about being, you know, proud of who they were, right, as young black, brown children. But also um, they were missing the strategies for how to identify when, when something racist is happening and then what you do. How do you, you know, seek help, maybe let you advocate? Um, because, so what I found, right, so for the adolescents is they're thinking racism looks like the pictures they see in a history book. Water fountains, right, black, white. So you ask them, I ask them explicitly, you know, what do you think about racism? They say, no, it's not really a thing. People say it's not really present. Tell me about your school day. They give me, you know, stories about what was happening to them in the classroom with administration. 
I knew that was racism. And so my work that I did with them over the course of the year was to educate them on that. But so here you have students having experiences that they don't have a blueprint to understand. They know they feel bad. Maybe they're acting out. Right, but they don't have, you know, the, the kind of background. So we worked with the parents and the students to say like, this is important, but you know, history, you know, that idea, which is important, um, really led to uh, parenting practices that, you know, really reduced or minimized the importance of parents doing things like, you know, affirming young children to buffer out what we know they're gonna experience, you know, in society. Um, and so now what's interesting for me, if we fast forward, um, and we kind of moved through the Obama era and moved to the current, you know, climate. I, a few years back, again, another community panel, 2004, so, you know, thinking about uh, that, at that point, you know, police uh, brutality and violence, mothers crying, and I did not have the conversation with my children. Now I feel like I have to because we started documenting and I started seeing more explicit experiences of racism um, in school systems in particular for children. So, you know, kids coming home and saying, I'm being called the N-word, seeing Confederate flags or things, you know, being painted on the walls. And so there was this, this racial tension that I think for that generation and for those parents that maybe they heard about, maybe they, you know, experienced depending on their age, but certainly for their children, they were like, what is this? Um, because they had come from, you know, this hopeful place, it, uh, particularly, I think, in being able to see um, a Black president. So here we are, you know, today, um, unfortunately. And so that's why, for me, it's complex. Uh, what, what it comes back to, for me, is the need to remind parents of color, in particular, that part of your parenting practice has to be several types of messages, and, and, and even more so, the appreciation, right, of whether it's skin, color, you know, hair texture, what it means to be black, the history, all the things that we know that um, children are less likely to receive in a formal, you know, educational school setting. But you also have to prepare them. So they're called, you know, sort of these strategies and messages of preparation of how to identify even the subtle nuances of racism and then what to do about it. Um, so we talk about, you know, the, the explicit talks about, you know, being safe, you're pulled over by the police, but there are some other messages in between there that are also equally important because in the absence of that, you know, particularly for folks as they develop, they're just confused. Um, but they know they're having bad experiences and that's what shows up psychologically, unfortunately. Dr. Tarver, when, when, when Dr. Uh, Noesi is talking about the, she's talking about the messaging and to combat these, these four pillars, uh, you know, that I, that I described, do you, are you in the same, do you believe that same thing that to, to combat those four dimensions of racism that you have to undergird them with messaging uh, at home to help that this broader messaging that's happening currently with with the pro very active protest. Uh, unfortunately, there's some some uh, furniture being damaged and buildings being burned, but I'm okay with that. Um, I, that that's a risk I'm, I'm I'm willing to take. I hate people losing property, but we talk about people losing lives. We're fighting for souls. And do you believe messaging could help uh, counter? These, uh, these dimensions of racism? Dr. Jernigan Noesi hit on, I think some very important things in what she just described. And, and, and I wanna make sure that people caught all of it because you said a lot that I think people forget about the things such as um, the hair texture um, and this whole hair conversation and how that feeds into racism, but, but how that, those messages often start at home. Those messages often start in our families about, and you mentioned it earlier, attorney, uh, earlier attorney winners, that light skin versus that darker skin, that perceived good hair versus that tighter coiled hair. Uh, and then if we already are having these challenges ourselves as parents, and then, then 
pass these on to our children. So they're already going into a situation where they're going to be undervalued oftentimes uh, and, and thought to uh, be a lot of negative, negative stereotypes. And we haven't armed them because we're still dealing with our own issues of colorism and hair texture uh, that we haven't dealt with in our, in our own lives, especially if we have children in our homes of, of different hues and of different hair textures. That could be something that they're already going to school struggling with. And so you, um, I think the highlighting of that piece that there's all these different layers, what we look like and what messages we receive growing up and how we have dealt with them as parents so that we don't end up passing these on to our children, that we do affirm them, that they do have that positive identity developments. They know their black is beautiful, whatever their black looks like, that their brown is beautiful, whatever that brown looks like. And so when they are met with these negative messages, they already have that sense of empowerment within to know that they have worth and value. But I think the other thing that she touched on, which is really important, is that we got comfortable. We thought because we had a black president that now, okay, we're moving in a different direction. We don't have to have these conversations anymore. And Please don't say that curse word. <laughs> don't say that post-racial post foolishness. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. right. Um, and, and that our children, because of us, because of it, and I think this is an important um, piece that I want um, Dr. Jernan and Noesi to get into after I uh, go through this, is that because of where we were, we didn't arm our children. And so they didn't even understand what racism was. And so here they are um, being taught, but you have to have cheated because there's no way that you could know that information. You can't be that smart. You can't have excelled in, in that way. Um, no, you can't join that particular club. Why don't you join this club? You don't need to look at those universities. Why don't you look at these universities? They're, they're, they'll be more on your level. Uh, why don't you aim for this career path instead of this career path? Like, so they don't even understand what is happening with that. They know it doesn't feel good, as you said, but they don't really understand the messages that are underneath this, this implicit bias that, that kids are dealing with in schools. Um, but that also, that a system that reaffirms that when they try to go out and then get their internships, try to go and get employment or try to apply to these universities and then they're met with these obstacles when maybe at home they were told, hey, you can do whatever you want, but then the world around me isn't backing that up. And so, yes, we do still need to have these conversations. These conversations need to be multifaceted. And the other thing that you pointed out is they need to start at, at younger ages and maybe need to be different for our elementary school kids than they do for our, our middle and high school kids. But they we need to begin there. We don't need to just wait until there's an incident. We need to already be arming our children, even at younger ages, to be prepared to deal with what the world is going to throw at them. Well, thank you. I think both of you guys answered and, and really enlightened us on these four dimensions of racism and allow us to be able to figure out ways to combat them and good, strong solution sets. Uh, we're going to take a small break, and uh, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to get more into uh, this discussion. This is in our own defense podcast uh, with Dr. Dolores Tarver and myself, Attorney Anthony Winters, and we have the, the luxury of having our very special guest, Dr. Jernigan Noessi. Uh, she's here at Licensed Oncologist telling us about how we go through and combat racial trauma. Thank you. Well, welcome back to our show in our own defense podcast. We have 